our rightful place on that cross to satisfy the justice of a holy God. And then three days later, he rose from the grave as the first of the resurrection. A resurrection in which every Christian will share. Every one of us who, who die a physical death before he comes back again will join him as we are raised from the dead. And those who are alive at that time will be just joined with him in the air never to experience the death of their bodies. Every believer from all time, times past, times present, and times future will share in that resurrection to spend eternity with him. I don't know, in the back of my head, I'm hearing, I'll fly away, you know. Have you ever noticed whenever Christian musicians, we had a Sunday school gathering last night, and there were several musicians there, most of whom you know from being up here, and they started warming up. You know what the first thing they played was? I'll fly away. Isn't that a great truth, though? Keep your eyes on Jesus. But, as the Apostle Peter writes... Now, for a little while, while we yet anticipate the day of his return, his perfecting of our faith, we live in a less than perfect world among less than perfect people with less than perfect faith and less than perfect lives. And add to that, as Christians, we are to be in this world, but not of the world. Our citizenship is truly in the unshakable kingdom. Our culture, in our kingdom, is not defined by the morals and the opinions of the people among whom we live. They are defined by the one who is both lawgiver and judge, as James tells us in chapter 4. Today, in the, the culture around us, there is much glorification of what is termed an alternative lifestyle. We see it on television, we see it in the movies, we hear it in the popular music, but I submit that the most alternative of lifestyles today is the Christian lifestyle. A lifestyle of holiness. A lifestyle dedicated to the biblical command to be holy because I am holy, says the Lord. A lifestyle which plays out the love of God and the love of neighbor, that loves the brethren, that shows hospitality to strangers, that identifies with the plight of the oppressed and the prisoners, that honors marriage, that is not greedy, that is content. You see, that's the Christian ethic that the writer of Hebrews calls us to, and that brings us to the passage that we're going to look at today. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 4 to 6. But I want to put that... Those two verses, three verses, four, five, and six, those three verses into context. So we're going to read from the end of chapter 12, verse 28, down through Hebrews 13, 6, just to, to put in context 
those three verses. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? May the Lord bless the reading, the hearing, and the application of his word to our lives. Let marriage be held in honor among all. First, before we can honor something, we must know what it is. According to the Bible, marriage is both a physical and a covenantal union between a man and a woman and is intended to be a lifelong union. We see this in Genesis 2.24, following the creation of man, God created woman. As it says, male and female, he created them. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So a man and a woman make a covenantal agreement to hold fast to one another. And they enter into a God-honoring physical, emotional, and spiritual relationship, becoming one flesh. In Matthew 19, Jesus reaffirms this truth when he says, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So, one of the ways that we can hold marriage in honor is first to recognize what it is and not cheapen it by way of redefinition. Marriage is not just a piece of paper conferring tax and legal benefits. It is not just a formal declaration of love for one another. It is not any two people sharing life together. Marriage is not to be entered into out of convenience, economics, or social pressure. Marriage is a God-ordained union between a man and a woman which glorifies God, edifies each other, and is a picture of the reality of Christ's relationship to the church. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit 
in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Do you see? In this passage, marriage isn't a, a legal matter for the courts to define. It is a mystery defined and ordained by God. We honor marriage by recognizing and celebrating the reality of what it is, not by cheapening it through a redefinition and celebration of a counterfeit. We honor marriage by honoring the institution of marriage. And that honorable institution is failing in this country. Not only are more and more marriages failing, but at the same time, fewer and fewer people are actually getting married. Even the definition of marriage has been changed. And we who hold to a biblical definition of marriage as opposed to what has become the legal definition in our nation are being challenged by a society that wishes to force us to recognize as marriage something that is not marriage. However, while we uphold the sanctity of marriage, we must also uphold the Christian commandment of love for those with whom we disagree. It is more loving to speak the truth in love than to celebrate an untruth in order to make someone else feel good about their sin. Christian love requires us to speak truth and to show love. As Christians, our goal is never to push anyone away, but to see all come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. While we must uphold the truth, we must always do so with compassion. We must always remember that we are all sinners saved by grace. We must always remember that each and every person is either a sinner saved by grace or a sinner in need of grace and a Savior just like us. And there is no sin no behavior that is beyond God's grace. Paul, writing to the Corinthian church, reminds them of who they were when in chapter 6 he says, Do not be deceived. 
Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now listen. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. See, the whole point of Christian love for others is not to exclude anyone from the love of God, but to include them in his forever family. John Piper puts it this way, love warns, love pleads, love comes alongside and does all it can to help a person live forever. I've taken much too long on that point. Let's get back to the text, Hebrews 13, 4, let marriage be held in honor by all. What does it mean to hold something in honor? It means to treat it with respect. It, it is to treat it as something precious of high value. In fact, the, the Greek word there that's used for holding it in honor is translated elsewhere as precious. It speaks of the precious blood of Christ. It's that same word. Just think, as if you were to be given a, a very valuable crystal vase that had been handed down from generation to generation that was held in high honor by your, your family, by your parents and grandparents, and it's, it's given to you to care for. You probably wouldn't let the kids play catch with it, would you? You, you probably wouldn't loan it out to somebody to take to a tailgate party. No, you, you, would, you would be careful with it. You'd protect it from careless injury. You'd be sure to keep it clean because of its preciousness to us. We'd protect it from misuse and from danger. Marriage is to be held in honor and treated as a precious thing. Vice President Mike Pence has come under quite a bit of criticism, heavily criticized, in fact, by many in the press for a policy he has of never dining alone with a woman other than his wife. The end of a scathing article that I saw criticizing Pence for this policy, saying that he was hopelessly out of touch with modern reality the author says, I don't doubt that Pence has a deep regard for his wife. And I thought, well, that's the whole point of it, isn't it? I, I mean, that, that was the whole point of it. And his policy isn't out of fear, but, but it's out of a desire to show how special, how precious, how honorable is his relationship with his wife. It is his way of honoring marriage. You know, each of us who are married are, are different individuals. And our spouses are typically different from us in many, many ways. And, and each of our married relationships are different 
one to another mine, and Tondas isn't like Carol's and Larry's or Ronnie's and Bart's. They're, they're different. I, and I struggled. I thought, you know, I'm going to come up here with all of this, and I'm going to give some advice. I am not going to do that. You know what the best way to figure out how to honor your marriage is? Sit down across the table from your spouse and say, hey, what's the best way I can honor our marriage? And then listen. But then give the other one the chance too. So we are each different. But let marriage be held in, I, you know, I thank God for Mike Pence and his example for his role in our nation's leadership. Let marriage be held in honor by all. That means both the married and the unmarried. Does this mean that we should somehow expect everyone to eventually get married? That somehow being single is dishonoring to marriage? Absolutely not. We do not honor marriage by making it mandatory, by making it seem to be the goal for everyone, by sending the message that it is somehow more spiritual to be married. You know, the church has a really weird history with this. For the first several centuries, the church raised singleness up to a, a plane of spirituality above being married. And therefore, we have the, the single priests up until the Reformation. Unmarried clergy was the rule. Well, then trying to attain some balance and realizing that God has ordained both singles and married. And it seems, though, today that in the... the contemporary church within the American churches, we often seem to ask to act now that singles are somehow incomplete human beings. That singles ministries and activities have one purpose and one purpose only and that's to try to get them together so that they can get married. But the Bible teaches us something different. It teaches us that while we are to hold marriage in honor, we must also recognize singleness whether by choice or by circumstance, as a gift and a calling from God. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul refers to both singleness and marriage as gifts from God when he says in regard to his own singleness, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. You see, for marriage to be held in honor by all, we must recognize that both marriage and singleness are gifts from God and worthy of honor. Perhaps singles will have an easier time honoring our marriages if we recognize singleness too may be an expression of a gift from God and used for his glory. Verse 4 continues. Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. 
The marriage bed here is pictured as a pure place, but a place capable of being defiled or, or spoiled. What is it that defiles the marriage bed? Sexual immorality and adultery. Those two things cover all sexual activity outside of the bonds of marriage, whether by someone who is married or someone who is single. So whether single or married, in order to honor marriage, to hold marriage in honor, one must refrain from sexual activity outside the bond of marriage. Yes, sex is a gift from God reserved for men and women bound together in marriage. Anything else defiles the marriage bed and invites God's judgment. What does it mean that God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous? Does that mean that their punishment is somehow more severe? Or that they are unredeemable? No. As we've already seen from 1 Corinthians 6, some were such as you but you have been washed, sanctified, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. What does it mean here when it says God will judge? It means that God is both the lawgiver and judge. He is the one who defines what is moral, what is right, and what is immoral and sin and the consequences of sin in this world are real. And the Bible tells us the consequences of sin is death. But he is also redeemer and savior who has given us a way back to holiness and righteousness through Jesus Christ and a way to live in righteousness through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. As Jesus said to the woman caught in adultery, go and sin no more. And Paul wrote, some, such some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is redemption and salvation in Jesus. And there is power to overcome temptation in the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Verse 5, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Isn't it interesting here that we go through all these different relationships. We've, we've moved from, from the beginning of the chapter. We've gone from uh, love among brothers and sisters in Christ to, to love of strangers, to the imprisoned, the oppressed, to that most intimate of human relationships, marriage. And then he takes us to this relationship with material things. In this case, money. You know, there's a common expression that I've heard over and over again for, for much of my life. It says to love people and use money. Don't use people and love money. And that really sums up what this is about and why I think this is in here at this point. 
See, that's what this verse is about. That's why it's included here. The love of money puts material things ahead of relationship with God and with other people. The love of material things destroys our joy and contentment through the law of diminishing returns. You can never have enough. And it takes more and more to make you happy. The love of money destroys our relationships with others because it puts stuff ahead of people. The Christian is, as it says, to be content with what you have. Why? How? Because what we have is of infinite more value than any amount of money or any material thing. We have the very presence of God, the one who made us, the, the, the one who, who has all of the wealth of all creation, and we are his children. It's not about how much or how little we have. It's about the priority we place on it. When stuff and things become more important than people, we are in trouble. You know, when we're little children, we, 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 people, we, we start to gather toys. Our parents give us toys, others give us toys. And we get so many toys, then we, we have to have a box to put our toys in, a, a toy box. Then we get older and we get more stuff that won't all fit in the box, so we have to get a bigger box, so our parents give us a room. And then that becomes where we, we have our stuff and we... We have our stuff in our bigger box, a room. Then we become grown-ups and we, we get more stuff and we have to get a bigger box so we move out of our room and into a house and we start filling that with stuff until we've got boxes of stuff in this big box, in the garage and in the attic and all the stuff and then you know what happens? We die and they put us in a box. And then somebody else has to come and take care of all those other boxes. But the story doesn't end there. Because we don't stay in that box. We go to be with Jesus. And to be with one another. And to be with our brothers and sisters in Christ. That we begin to build relationships with here on this place at this time. See, that's what it's all about. This passage closes with this wonderful promise. It says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The words of Jesus. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you promise that you are with us. Lord God, we confess to you that we come here today from many different homes with many different families with broken relationships with good relationships with some but Lord 
We come to you, Father, because we just, we just don't get it right. And we're sorry. We fall short in so many ways. Lord, we know that you are faithful. You are just. And you promise, Lord, that if we confess our sin to you, that you will forgive our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Lord, we hold on to that promise. And we thank you, Lord, that in you we are righteous. Father God, strengthen us. Let us hold not just marriage, but all of our relationships honorably, rightly, lovingly, and mostly, Lord, help us to hold our relationship with you as the number one priority. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, when I started this morning, I said that without an understanding of who Jesus is, we can't live, we can't even understand the ethics of what the Bible calls us to. Perhaps there's someone here this morning that doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. If there is, I pray that you will come down this morning and let's pray together. Accept Jesus for who he is. He is Lord and he is Savior and he loves you very much. Or perhaps there's somebody here that feels called to join in the fellowship with this church. If so, I invite you to come down too as we sing together. Come and join your life with ours. Amen. Let's stand and sing.